Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. Joshua chapter 1. This morning we start a four-part series from Joshua entitled Taking the Lamb. That's what Joshua, the book of Joshua, is about. It's about the Israelites taking the land of Canaan. They'd waited long enough. It was time to move. And uh, Moses was gone. And it was time to take action. And Joshua was the person that God used to lead the Israelites there. Joshua chapter 1, beginning with verse 1 and reading through verse 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you be successful wherever you go. And keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote a book entitled Handbook for the Soul. There's a passage in that book I want to share with you. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross said, she said, Over the years I have learned that every life circumstance, even a crisis, can nourish your soul. She said, Recently the farm and the home that I have loved so much for so many years burned down in a horrible fire. Everything that I owned, without exception, was lost. There was even speculation that foul play was involved. At moments like this, we stand at a fork in the road. If we take the fork most commonly traveled, we collapse, we give up, feeling hopeless and defeated. We focus on the negatives, losing ourselves in the, quote, problem, unquote. She said, we point to our unhappy circumstances to rationalize our negative feelings. This is the easy way out, she says. It takes, after all, very little effort to feel victimized. We can, however, take the other fork. We can view the unhappy experience as an opportunity for a new beginning. We can keep our perspective, look for the growth opportunities, and find an inner reservoir of strength. When we get to Joshua chapter 1, the Israelites have suffered a great loss. 
It wasn't a loss in battle. It wasn't uh, a loss due to a famine or due to a recession or due to uh, the burning down of a home or a farm. Rather, it was the loss of the man who had led them for better than 40 years. His name was Moses. He is the one God used to lead them out of Egyptian slavery when they thought there was no way out of Egyptian slavery. He was the one who, standing against the banks of the Red Sea, and it looked like the Egyptian army was going to take them over, lifted up his staff, and God parted the waters, and they crossed over as on dry land. That was the Moses that led them through. He was the one who led them through 40 years of wandering in the desert when it seemed like they had lost their perspective on God, had lost their direction in life. Moses was still the one who carried them through. And he carried them all the way around uh, through the desert, around uh, the uh, Dead Sea, and right to the banks of the Jordan. And God, uh, on Mount Nebo, God took Moses, and Moses died. And the Bible says that God buried him, and nobody knows to this day where the grave is, where God buried Moses. And he left the children of Israel there on the banks of the Jordan. And for 30 days, they did absolutely nothing but mourn this man, Moses. And yet, the death of Moses provided a new window of opportunity for the children of Israel. Transitions have a way of doing that. I uh, have studied transitions in my own life. I've studied transitions in churches' lives. And I have observed transitions in families' lives, including many of yours. It's not that I'm trying to... uh, probe in anybody's business. You just, if you're an observer of human life, you observe the transitions that people go through and you notice something about what God does during the transitions of people's lives and churches' lives and individuals' lives. Quite often, God uses those transitions to do something significant. He wanted to do something significant in the lives of the children of Israel, and he wants to do something significant in the lives of the people in our church today. He wanted them to take the land in Canaan, and he wants us to take the land that he's given us. They waited a long time, and we've waited a long time. And finally, God, in Joshua chapter 1, says, Joshua, now is the time. And there's some things that God says principles that he leaves in this passage of Scripture for Joshua and the Israelites that I believe can also be applied to us. And I don't think we have to push them or force them or or do something outside of the text to actually see that they apply to us. For instance, the first thing I want you to notice is that in this text, God provides a window of opportunity that also calls for action. He provides windows of opportunity that call for action. That's what God does. Yes, they had lost Moses. And if you can imagine having a leader for almost five decades, a leader of the caliber of Moses, everybody respected him. I mean, they remember those who were still living at the time that that, uh, Moses died. They remembered the time when he came down from the mountain and, and he had spent so much time with God that his face glowed. 
Not everybody's face glows like that. There are a few people who have lived such lives that when they walk into your presence, it seems like they glow, whether it's physically or not, their reputation, their their walk of life, their caliber of person, they glow in front of you. They remembered that Moses was that type of person and now he's gone. And while for many people, it would have been a time to say, man, the guy who led us is gone, and now what, what is there for us? We haven't accomplished what he, he carried us through the wilderness to accomplish. What is left for us? But there were others, Joshua included, who was, who was listening to God. People who were listening to God during this time of transition. And as they were mourning for Moses, they heard God hearken to them with a call for action. There's a phrase that begins the book of Joshua, and the phrase is, after the death of Moses. You can study the Old Testament, and there are places where that phrase, not always with Moses, but that phrase is used as a transition in the history of Israel. In Joshua chapter 1, after the death of Moses. In the book of Judges, chapter 1, after the death of Joshua. In 2 Samuel, chapter 1, after the death of Saul. In 2 Kings, chapter 1, after the death of Ahab. And each one of those times were times, that phrase triggered a transition in which God wanted to do something significant in the lives of the people of Israel. And those transitions always, without exception, provide a call to action. You may be personally going through a transition in your life. And you may be wondering for direction. Maybe you've been asking God for for help in discerning His will for your life. And whatever else this transition may mean to you, look at it in this way. It is a call to action. It is an opportunity for you to do something or for God to do something through you that is incredibly significant. Don't miss the window of opportunity. Because the very fact that we call them windows of opportunity implies that the window will not remain open forever. God's opportunities are not meant to be unlimitedly indefinite. They have a closing period. And we have this window of opportunity. God, uh, Jesus in uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 3, was talking to the church at Philadelphia. And he said to the church at Philadelphia, he says, Behold, I put before you an open door that nobody else can shut. And he was saying to them, you need to walk through that door while it's still open. Because it will not always be open. And let me also remind us as a church, when God opens windows or when he opens doors of opportunity, the fact that he opens doors does not mean that he's going to force us through that door or push us through that window. There have, many, there have been many churches, there have been many families, there have been many people uh, before whom God put windows of opportunity and they failed to walk through them. And they're... Uh, their abandoned buildings litter the roadside. It is always our choice as individuals and as families in a church when God puts before us a window of opportunity, it's always our choice on what we're going to do with it. We can decide to walk through that door. We can decide to go through that window. Or we can decide we like what's better on this side of the window than what's through that window. Because as we all know, 
going through a window or through a door of opportunity, there will always be things on the other side of that door that we don't necessarily like. That's always the case. What is better in terms of the Lord's perspective is not always considered better from our perspective when we go through it. But if, if it's better from the Lord's perspective, does it really matter what I think about it? Does it really matter if it's uh, what I think is better or what you think is better after all? God is the one who sees with the eternal perspective. He provides windows of opportunity that call for action. Second, God provides a plan for his people. Not only does he provide these windows of opportunity, but he does not leave us without instructions. He does not leave us without uh, a step-by-step plan. And so he does here with them. In, uh, in chapter 1, beginning with verse 2, God says to Joshua, he says, Now then, you and all these people... That's who the plan includes. Get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them. To the Israelites, he says. I will give you every place where you set your foot. He says, as I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river Euphrates, all the Hittite country, all the way to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. God's plan for the Israelites, which never changed, by the way, His plan when he sent Moses to Egypt over 40 years earlier, his plan then was to bring the Israelites into Canaan and to give them the land of Canaan. That was God's plan. That plan never changed. And the only reason that they did not uh, accomplish that plan sooner was not because God didn't want them to have it. It's because of the decisions they made. God wanted them to take this land. He wanted them to do it, the Israelites. He wanted them to go over the Jordan River into the land. And he says, I'm about to give it to you. Every place where you set your foot, I'm giving it to you. I love the way that God's speaking to Joshua here. He didn't say every place that you set your foot, now you're going to have to fight for it. And uh, and, and, and you you might get it or not. I'm not really sure if you're going to get it, but I'm going to I'm going to try to help you. I hope you'll get it. That's not what he says. He says every place where you set your foot, I'm giving it to you. Back when uh, Moses pulled together a committee of 12 decades earlier. There, were, there was a committee of 12, and, and each member of the committee was a representative of each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And Joshua was one of the representatives. Caleb, who the Bible says was a man with a different kind of spirit, was a member of that committee. And you remember, they sent them up into the land of Canaan to spy out the land. And when God told them to spy it out, he, the instructions he gave them were instructions that, hey, I'm, I'm sending you to spy out the land that I've already given you. It was already a done deal from God's perspective. I'm sending you out to spy out the land, to check it out, to see what's up there, to, to see what the people are, to see what the harvest is. This is the land that I've given you. But they never quite got that. They went up and investigated the land as if they were investigating it to see if God was able to give it to them and to see if they were able to take it. And that's the way they looked at it. It was the wrong way to look at it all along. God has not called, he did not call the Israelites to go see if they can take the land. God has not called us to see if we can make this move. God has said, you need to take it. I've given it to you. 
It's his plan. They only needed to take it. We're not the Israelites, and we're not staring at the land of Canaan, and we're not going to have to go over the Jordan River to get to it. But God has given us land, and he wants us to take it. Third, when God provides a plan, he also promises his presence. Verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. And here's why he says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's in verse 5. And just in case Joshua wasn't listening very well, in verse 5, God repeats it four verses later. He says, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Somebody said, I don't know who it was, but I sure wish I had come up with it. I didn't. They said, one person with God is a majority. We need His presence. And yet, so many people claim that they've never experienced His presence. A few years ago, George Barna, the Christian pollster out in Southern California, conducted a, a, a survey of people in, who, go, who go to church. And here's what he found out, that 71% of people who attend church claim they've never felt the presence of God in a worship service. Seventy-one percent, seven out of ten? You ever felt God in a worship service? Man, I have. I'm in that... 29% who can claim, and I'm, I'm thankful to God that I, I can claim, I have felt God in worship before. In fact, many times I've felt God's presence in worship. There was a pastor one time who was calling on some recent church visitors. And uh, he called a place and there was a voice that answered the phone, Hello? He said, Who is this? And he says, James? He said, James, how old, how old are you? He said, four. James, may I speak to your mom? She's busy. Well, James, can I speak with your dad? He's busy too. Well, are there any other adults there, James? The police are here. <laughs> well, can I speak with one of the policemen, James? They're busy. Well, who else is there? The firemen are here. Well, can I speak with one of the firemen? They're busy. Well, what are they all doing? They're looking for me. <laughs> James was there. They just didn't know he was there. They couldn't see him. Listen, God is always with us even when we do not know it. And the fact that he is with us is enough. Always enough. Fourth. When God issues a call to action complete with His plan and His presence, the only thing that's left to do is for His people to act upon His command. Verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law that my servant Moses give, gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or left, that you'll be successful wherever you go. There are four parts uh, of this uh, 
of this response that God calls on His people. First, He calls upon Joshua and the people to be strong. Be strong. Yeah, you don't have Moses anymore, but that doesn't mean that you can't be strong. You have the Lord your God. He's far greater than Moses ever even dreamed of being. Be strong. And then He says, be courageous. There was a man who stood at the gates of heaven one day when St. Peter stopped him and he says, oh, no, now, he said, you don't get into heaven anymore just by being good, which you never got into heaven just by being good. He says, you have to have done something really great. Have you done anything that you can say is really and truly great in your life? The man thought for a minute and he said, I saw a group of skinhead motorcycle bikers harassing an old lady. And so I kicked over the leader's bike and I slapped and spit him in the face. St. Peter said, man, that's great. When did you do that? The man said, about three minutes ago. (laughs) Courageous. God says, Joshua, I want you to be courageous and be strong. Third, he said, be careful to obey God's words. We can't expect God's favor if we disregard the true meaning of his word If we try to either ignore His Word, neglect His Word, or twist and corrupt His Word, we must look at the true, accurate meaning of His Word and follow it to the best of our ability with His grace because we can't follow it at all without His grace. And so God's issued a call for us. He's given us a plan that's pretty clear. He's promised us His presence. We will not go without Him. And what's left for us is to respond to the call. And that's part of what this series is about. I'm not going to try to beat relocation in your your hearts and minds. I don't have to do that. It's already there for the vast majority of us, maybe all of us. I don't know. But I know one thing. It's been a long journey. We voted to relocate in May of 2001. It's been 14 years. That's why I agree with our kids on that video we saw a few weeks ago. Our kids, out of the mouth of babes, they said, it's time to move on down the road. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for never giving up on us. I thank you, Lord, for a plan that originated with you that never changed. I thank you, Lord, for the power that comes from you to enable us to accomplish whatever goal you have set for us. And I'm grateful to you, Lord, that you said to Joshua and you're saying to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You will take this land because I will go with you. As I was with Moses, as I was with Joshua, as I was with Isaiah, as I was with the disciples, as I was with Paul, as I was with my son, so Palmetto Baptist Church, I will also be with you. The window is open. It's time to move. In Jesus' name, amen.